It's Friday, January 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. One of the biggest lingering questions about the vaccines we have on deck right now is how long it bestows immunity on a person. Good news is that Moderna's CEO says that their vaccine should provide immunity for at least one year. They're also on track to deliver at least 600 million doses in 2021. Leah Rosenbaum, healthcare reporter at Forbes, joins us for this and another vaccine hitting phase three trials. Next, the FBI is continuing to issue warnings about more mobs possibly heading to state capitals in the run-up to Joe Biden's inauguration. But what is the science behind mob thinking? And why do many people readily accept false information? Part of what promotes this thinking is that many people tend to trust sources of information rather than the substance with little fact-checking. Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios, joins us for more. Finally, the Consumer Electronics Show went completely virtual this year due to the pandemic. And despite no packed Vegas showrooms, companies were still showing off their newest tech. Samsung is envisioning a future with robots in your home, LG has transparent TVs, Cadillac has flying taxis, and GM is going all in on electric vehicles. Mark Saltzman, host of the Tech It Out podcast, joins us for the best of CES 2021. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The CEO of Moderna, Stefan Bensel, did say that he thought immunity could last for a year, but it's kind of hard to know for sure because this virus has only been around for about a year. Joining us now is Leah Rosenbaum, healthcare reporter at Forbes. Thanks for joining us, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. I want to talk a little bit about vaccines. The Moderna vaccine, we just found out that it could provide immunity from COVID-19 for at least a year after being vaccinated. That's one of the biggest questions that was rolling around is how much immunity will we get from these vaccines once they're administered? Leah, tell us a little bit more about what we're learning in the Moderna vaccine. So what we do know is that these vaccines are super safe and they're super effective. What we don't know exactly is how long immunity will last, like you mentioned. So the CEO of Moderna, Stefan Bensel, did say this week that he thought immunity could last for a year. But it's kind of hard to know for sure because, you know, this virus has only been around for about a year. So we don't have the data that says that, but he's making that hypothesis based on a lot of data like the immune response to the vaccine, which is really strong. There are some things that we do know. There are some things that we don't know. There are some things that could change that one year guess. But, you know, that's the guess so far based on the evidence we have. And it kind of goes in line with what a lot of experts had said, you know, even while we were still developing these vaccines, that this could be something like the flu shot, where every year you could get a booster shot. And we've seen new strains, new variants of coronavirus come out just recently. And with this mRNA technology that Moderna and Pfizer are using, they say that they can tweak those relatively easily. So if there's a new dominant strain that comes out by, you know, year's end or something, they can fix those. So that's the other side of this. You know, we could be seeing annual booster shots, maybe. The CEO of Moderna actually said that he does think that this virus is going to be around for a really long time, possibly forever. So that would mean that, you know, we might have annual booster shots like the flu, but for the COVID virus. One of the other interesting things about Moderna specifically is that they were kind of a nobody before, and now they're this major player in the market. They never brought a product to market before. This is their first go Mm -hmm. at it that, that something got approved. And obviously, they're providing a lot of these shots you know, for free to the public, let's say. There's partnerships with the government that have paid for development and all that. Aside from that, 
they stand to make a lot of money from this vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. And you're totally right that this is the first vaccine they've brought to market. So Moderna is about 10 years old. And the whole time they've been working on mRNA vaccine technology, and they've been developing vaccines for diseases like Zika virus and Ebola virus. But those have all been slower clinical trials. So they had the technology that they were already working on when COVID-19 broke out. And then they used that technology to make the COVID-19 vaccine and were one of the fastest to do it. You know, they do stand to make a lot of money. They announced this week that they have contracts that could be worth more than $11 billion with countries around the world for this vaccine. But at least in the U.S., we know that the vaccine is going to be free for American people. And big things coming for Moderna. They said that they're going to start human trials for an HIV vaccine and other vaccines as well. So that's some Mm -hmm. great news, really. Yeah, they work really closely with Dr. Anthony Fauci's group at the NIH, and that HIV vaccine is going to be done with Dr. Fauci's group as well. So they've been working really closely with the government this whole time, unlike Pfizer, which has been working more as a private company. It's just great news to see that things are progressing and aren't slowing down. Another company that's developing a vaccine for coronavirus, it's called Novavax, and we got some news out Mm -hmm. of them also. They're going to be starting phase three trials in the U.S., pretty soon. Also, obviously important, we need as many vaccines as possible to, you know, hopefully get everybody a shot of these things. So uh, tell us a little bit about what Novavax is doing, because their vaccine is different from the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Yeah, so there are actually over 100 coronavirus vaccines in development, which, like you said, is super great. We have vaccines from Novavax that are in phase three. We have vaccines from Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Most of the major pharmaceutical companies are developing a vaccine, smaller biotechs as well, like Novavax. And it's a really fantastic, huge global effort. And I think it says something really great about the pharmaceutical industry, which I know gets a lot of flack sometimes, but (laughs) they really all just banded together to try to tackle this as soon as possible. So like you said, Novavax has a slightly different vaccine. It does seem to have good efficacy so far. And we will be looking forward to their phase three trials to see how well it works. Yeah. And some of their trials that have been going on were going on in South Africa. And I think they're going to do some stuff in the UK if they haven't already started. So their vaccine will potentially have a crack at that new variant that we've been hearing so much about. A lot of these vaccine makers are confident that the current status of the vaccine will hold up to those variants. But we'll be able to see some of that in phase three trials when Novavax starts testing theirs out. Exactly. And I think the variant thing is really important. There's always the possibility of another variant mutating and becoming more dominant. And, you know, if there was the case that that happened and a vaccine was no longer effective, the good thing about the mRNA vaccines is they can be developed very quickly. And they've said that they'll be able to develop a vaccine against a new variant in about six weeks. However, the problem is getting everybody vaccinated again. (laughs) Right, exactly. Right, like we've had a horrible vaccine rollout so far, to be honest. It doesn't sound great trying to get, you know, millions of people vaccinated again for a brand new strain. So in my opinion, that's why we need to try to get as many people vaccinated as soon as possible so that these new strains don't have time to mutate and develop and we don't have to go through this whole thing again. Leah Rosenbaum, healthcare reporter at Forbes. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. 
No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence. Joining us now is Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about still what happened at the Capitol last week. You know, I think a lot of people were pretty surprised. Not that a lot of people thought the election was stolen, as the president had constantly been saying, but that so many people would just act so crazy with it, you know, and storm the building. It was kind of this mob mentality. You know, everybody was going to do it, so everybody else joined in. But, Sarah, you uh, wrote an article talking about kind of the science of mob thinking and how it works. So tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah, well, my colleague Allison Schneider and I talked to a bunch of experts in misinformation, cognitive psychology. And what we learned is that people have so much information coming at them, especially as more information moves online, that they need to rely on shortcuts or heuristics to be able to deduce fact from fiction. And that means that oftentimes people are not evaluating whether or not something is true or false based on the substance of an article or something they read. Rather, they're evaluating its validity based off of the source. And that becomes problematic in the internet age because if you have large swaths of the population following the same type of source and that source gets it wrong or intentionally misleads them, well, then a large swath of the population is going to be misled. And in context of what happened last week with the Capitol riots, you had so many people saying that they thought the election needed to be not certified because it was stolen. They were echoing a lot of the things that they had heard on fringe right forums and from Donald Trump himself. Clearly, they had been using those types of outlets and perhaps Donald Trump as a shortcut or a heuristic to determine whether or not something was true or false. And, you know, the president is a master of branding and repetition, even. For those people that voted for him, liked what he was doing with the country, they do trust him. So he's going to be that shortcut for them, right? They're going to believe in what he says. And when he's constantly railing against the media, saying everything is fake news, telling everybody, don't believe this, don't believe that, the election was stolen, trust me, we won this thing, that's what they're going to believe. So really fact-checking, people won't even take the time to do any of that. As you mentioned, there's so much media, there's so much stuff being thrown at people, they're going to take those shortcuts. Absolutely, and they should. I mean, it's human, it's actually animal nature. We're not the only mammals that do that. Scientists say that this is a mammal instinct to use and rely on shortcuts to help make decisions. And it's the wise way to go about you know, living your life. You want to be able to fact check everything individually, but there's no way you can do that with all of the hundreds of pieces of information that you encounter. The problem actually is just that people are trusting the wrong sources to rely on for their information to fact check things for them. And that's where we have a big problem. Now, when we talked to some of these experts, they said that there are a few key attributes of things that people look for when they're trying to determine what they should use as a shortcut to figure out whether or not something is true or false. Now, one of the big things they said was race and things like religion and your identity. Those things people find they can trust in other people. And so when they need to find guidance about who are they going to trust to help them discern facts from fiction, they're looking at people who look like them, that sound like them, that have a similar background to them. And that's why you might have noticed that at that Capitol insurrection, quite honestly, a lot of people were white. There were some people who had been echoing some of the white nationalist rhetoric that Donald Trump had been championing throughout his presidency or rather hadn't been disavowing throughout his presidency. It all kind of feeds into this mob mentality of everyone trusting him because he's not only somebody 
who looks like them, but he's somebody who's been dog whistling about white supremacy for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of older people there, people that fit into kind of the media consumption group that he targets and everything. So all of this kind of folds into it together. So then how do we break ourselves of all of this? I I know you mentioned a lot of this has to do with following people that are like us and everything. But you mentioned just a bit ago that maybe some people aren't believing trusted sources. Well, I think a lot of people would say to that, well, don't tell me who to trust kind of thing. So so how do we break ourselves of some of these cycles of mob thinking? Well, one of the biggest things is create a society that invests in digital literacy. So starting from young age, you understand and you learn in school about how to trust sources online. And that could go a long way so that people can pick up digital literacy skills as they move into their adult life and need to make decisions around things, not just about politics and the news and current events, but honestly about their own life, whether or not they should be eating a certain way, whether or not they should be managing their finances a certain way. You know, we often think about this in terms of politics, but one could argue it's just as damaging if people are consuming false and misleading information that could lead them to do something bad for their health. I mean, the best example of this could be the Tide Pods social media challenge that went viral earlier this year. You had a lot of kids that were eating Tide Pods like candy, thinking it was funny, without realizing that just eating a teeny bit of it could kill you. That's an example of the fact that not enough kids were reading good sources of information about it, and not enough parents were reading good sources of information about the trend that was happening. Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So this is disruptive technology that fuses hardware, software, and services to speed up online deliveries, be better on the environment, quieter as well, and be safer for couriers and uh, warehouse workers. It's going to help us as consumers in the end as well. Joining us now is Mark Saltzman, tech columnist at USA Today and host of the Tech It Out podcast. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. CES 2021, the Consumer Electronics Show, is a little different as opposed to in years past because of the pandemic. It's all virtual, so there's no crowds in Vegas, no big floor rooms to walk through. It's a little different. Everybody can, I guess, enjoy it from the comfort of their own home now. I heard you talking about this before. I guess maybe next year we'll get that old school CES back in order and in person. But Mark, tell us about some of the big wow products that we might have seen this time around. Yeah, it was a bit weird not attending CES in person for me the first time in about 22 years. So let's start off, I guess, with some of the more wow ones or like the crazy, you know, this isn't coming anytime soon, but still neat kind of thing. Everything from the Samsung bot that you might have seen, the robot that can pick up your laundry off the floor for you load your dishwasher, and then pour you a glass of wine and bring it over to you. (laughs) Yeah, that robot's name is Handy. Who wouldn't want to have uh, a robot bring you a glass of wine? Right. Kind of alluding to a future we've seen in movies and things. And, you know, they have the technology now, so it's just going to keep getting refined over and over. For sure. It was kind of reminiscent. I hate to date myself here because I actually wasn't alive when this cartoon debuted, but it's like the Jetsons. I think the name (laughs) of the robot is Rosie the Robot. Right, right. And she would ride around the home and, you know, do things for the family. So yeah, Samsung teased us with that, but obviously very conceptual or prototypical. And then LG had a transparent TV that they showed. I think it was called the LG bedroom television. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that, you know, you wake up in the morning, you use your voice to say, hey, I want to watch TV. And then this 55 inch transparent TV rolls 
out of the foot of your bed and it ascends to its full height and you can watch TV while you're getting dressed and uh, watch it from both sides. Sounds kind of futuristic, but I can see some of the commercial applications for that when you don't want a screen obscuring your view, like an opaque screen. So that was kind of neat. And then Cadillac's flying taxi concept. Again, very conceptual. They didn't even have like a real working model of it. It was, you know, animated. And it was kind of neat. It was like the closest thing to a jetpack that I've seen. It was kind of like a a drone that you can (laughs) climb into. It did look like a uh, huge drone, yeah. Yeah. But it did have that cool kind of Cadillac styling, I guess, with it. Yeah. I know that that a lot of companies have been working on some of these, you know, flying taxis and these concepts Mm. for some time. There's a lot of issues with FAA approval. So I know that they're really hoping on getting some of that off the ground soon. So yeah, literally it's going to be a lot more of a logistical hurdle and, you know, the laws and the insurance implications more than it is the technology itself. I think we will see it. It's just, it's a matter of when, not if. Hands-free tech was a big thing this year, obviously because of the pandemic, everybody wanting to keep clean. And Moen has a smart kitchen faucet where you can talk to it, tell it to pour you specific amounts of water at certain temperatures. That's actually a kind of cool idea. Yeah, and not too far in the future. In fact, they're available now with some new models that they debuted this week. But the idea is the same. You wave your hand over to start the flow of water. But as you said, even cooler than that is if you have a smart speaker nearby, or you can do this on the Moen app, is that you can say the amount of water you want and the desired temperature. So If you have a water bottle that can take exactly 12 ounces of water, you put it under the faucet and you say, you know, give me 12 ounces of water or fill my water bottle and it's a preset on your app and it'll know exactly when to stop and then you just take it with you to go. That was kind of neat, you know, and I've seen that in person as well. It's not like really science fiction. (laughs) And then we've seen phone sanitization solutions that zap your phone using ultraviolet light to kill viruses like COVID. We've seen wearable you know, silver dollar size disposable stickers that can detect COVID-19 symptoms. We saw a mask that has a microphone and some speakers <laughs> in it to help amplify one. your voice so it doesn't yeah. sound so muffled to the people around you. The last thing I wanted to talk about real briefly, Bright Drop program. This yeah. is coming from GM. So they're basically going all in on electric vehicles and logistics too. You know, it's going to be a huge market food and parcel delivery is going to be huge and they're going all in on this. Yeah. So we talked about the Cadillac Flying Taxi earlier, but GM really did dominate the show from an automotive tech standpoint. In fact, Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, kicked off CES with the official keynote. So yeah, Bright Drop is a new ecosystem of electric vehicles, and that includes pallets, like even in the warehouses, and then also and vans and trucks and all that, that meant to get you your products faster. We all are all online shopping more than ever before. E-commerce is exploding. So this is disruptive technology that fuses hardware, software, and services to speed up online deliveries, be better on the environment, quieter as well, and be safer for couriers and uh, warehouse workers. So they made a big splash about this, and they announced a partnership with FedEx Express starting as early as this spring. So GM is all in on deliveries and logistics and all that, and it's going to help us as consumers in the end as well. Mark Saltzman, tech columnist at USA Today, host of the Tech It Out podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.